we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're going before we get lost. Let me your thoughts. Can't get what we can without knowing. I've never Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us today. You know how parents have the talk with their kids? Well, there's actually more than one. There's the hygiene talk, the your body is changing talk, the where do babies come from talk. And many African-American families have the here's how you interact with police talk. There's also the talk about alcohol and drugs, and that one just got a whole lot more complicated now that it's legal in Minnesota for adults to use recreational marijuana. It's inevitable that more kids are going to see family members, neighbors, and other adults smoking weed or drinking THC seltzers. So this hour, we're going to get some advice from doctors on how to have the cannabis talk. And I want to hear from you. Have you talked to your kids about marijuana? If so, what did you say? What questions do you have about how cannabis affects children, teenagers, and young adults? The phone lines are open this morning. I want you to call us. You can call 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. I have two guests in the studio with me today I'm eager to hear from. We have Dr. Katie Miller, a pediatrician and medical Director of Adolescent Medicine at Children's Minnesota, the large pediatric health system here in the Twin Cities. She's also worked in Latin America, East Africa, and India. Good morning, Dr. Miller. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Also here with us is Dr. Sarah Polly, a pediatric and adult addiction psychiatrist. She is Director of Addiction Psychiatry at Ellie Mental Health in Golden Valley, and she was previously the Medical Director at the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation's National Substance Use and Mental Health Health Treatment Center for Adolescents and Young Adults. And she's also worked at Prairie Care Medical Group in Brooklyn Park. Great to have you with us, Dr. Polly. Yeah, happy to be here. So I was explaining to the two of you when you walked in this morning, I, I wanted to spend some time discussing how to talk about cannabis to children and to teenagers, because I've been wondering if, if I did a good job myself describing this to my own kids who are now young adults and in college. But as the use of marijuana becomes a lot more visible um, among adults, it, it is logical to believe that more kids are going to have more questions than before. So doctors, my first question uh, to you, you know, just as, as people, and you're both also your parents, what do you think about the value of having a, a serious conversation about marijuana with the kids in our lives, making sure that they they understand just some, some basic facts? And, and I'll begin with you, Dr. Polly. Yeah, well, I think like any safety-related behavior, it's really important that we as parents talk with our kids and have a voice with our kids because if we're not going to tell them the information, they can get the information on the internet, they can get the information from their friends, and that may not always be accurate. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, especially when kids are young, they're more likely to rely on their parents for interpretation of what's going on about the world and what's safe and what's unsafe. And so we really have a window as parents to educate our kids and really normalize the idea of having these conversations that we don't need to make them scary or weird or, you know, only when you get in trouble do we talk about this, but we start talking about it from a young age and we use age-appropriate information to share with them. Mm, I'm glad you said not just when you get into trouble, but to get ahead of it so that maybe you won't get in trouble with it. Exactly, right? yeah. And uh, Dr. Miller, what are your thoughts about uh, the value of like, let's, let's, let me make sure you've, you understand some basic facts here. Yeah, I very much agree with Dr. Polly. So, one of the biggest predictors of adolescent substance use is if they know whether or not their parents would disapprove of that. So even though it seems like teens may not want to have that conversation, parents 
you know, advice really, really matters. And I encourage it to be many conversations, as Dr. Polly said, starting when kids are young. There shouldn't be one serious talk that's uncomfortable for everybody. It should be a repeated conversation over years. And they can be short, brief interactions, things like, do you see a billboard advertising like a new cannabis product? What do you think about that? What do your friends think about that? So these conversations are super important. It doesn't have to be a big sit down one time situation. How young is too young or or how how old is is old enough if, if you're little? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Polly? Oh gosh, I don't think there's an age that it's you're it's too young. Um I mean just using my own personal experience, you know, I have a, a four year old at home and if we're out and we see someone smoking something or drinking something and maybe they're acting a little bit silly or different and my young you know, my daughter asks, Oh, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? To just kind of normalize it and say, Well, some adults choose to to drink things or smoke things that make them feel funny. And then just move on, right? So incorporating these ideas and these topics from an early age, again, to normalize the discussion so that it, again, isn't this big, scary thing um, that and we can talk about it and it doesn't have to be a long, drawn out conversation. Um, I think about being in public spaces, uh, the smell, that's, that has to bring some, mom, what's that smell? Uh, that has to bring some questions. Uh, any thoughts? Or have you seen that occur? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And again, you can normalize that and just say, yeah, no, that is kind of stinky, isn't it? Some some adults choose to smoke things sometimes and they can be kind of stinky. Is it bothering you? You know, what do you think about that? Let's move over here. Um, yeah. Uh, I love that you're giving me the words because <laughs> because that's what we need. Like, give me some guidance. Give me some ideas of the words. And, uh, and, and Dr. Miller, you have a two-year-old. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're already thinking like when and how. Yeah, right now he's probably, I don't think he would understand. <laughs> like we're just yes starting no. words. Right, yeah, right. I don't think he actually understands no, but right. we'll get there. So marijuana has been around for a long time. People have been using marijuana products for, for, for many generations. Uh, and many young people already have an understanding and an awareness of it. But but what is different now? If we look about the discussions, I mean, what it took to get that law passed, uh, that now recreational marijuana is legal in Minnesota, uh, what what is different now, do you think, Dr. Polly? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that's, that's different now is the contents of the cannabis products that are available. So in the past, there was relatively low levels of THC, which is the compound in marijuana that gives you the high and the euphoria. Those levels were relatively low. And so the products were generally considered safer. You didn't have as big of an impact on your brain and your behavior when you would choose to use something. Whereas today, there are higher potency products available. Most products have much more THC than products that were available back in the 50s and 60s. And so the use of those products are more likely to negatively impact the brain and behavior, particularly for young people. So that's a big difference. Um, this you know, is not your grandmother's marijuana. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. It's it's different products. They're more potent. They can be more dangerous. Um, you know, and additionally, there's a Many people believe that the use of cannabis or marijuana products is normal nowadays. It used to be that the perception was, you know, that's not good for you. That's, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. That's illegal. All of these kinds of societal beliefs. And now the perception is much more, oh, yeah, this is a normal part of life. It can be normal to use marijuana. It's not this big taboo thing, which isn't necessarily a bad perception. It's just that it has changed the way that society views marijuana. Uh, Dr. Miller, I, I want to learn more about um what does the cannabis do to a young brain um, that is different than an adult brain? That's such a great question. So we know 
that pediatric and adolescent brains, they're still very much in the process of growing and developing. Mm. And my specialty is adolescent medicine. So if we look specifically at adolescence, we know that that brain, you know, the prefrontal cortex, which is sort of the part that is, you know, higher level decision making, is not as fully developed. That doesn't mean that adolescents can't make wonderful, well thought out decisions. But the fact that sort of the reward pathways in the brain are relatively overdeveloped compared to that decision-making part of the brain mm-hmm. primes the adolescent brain for things like addiction. Like a dopamine hit is much more powerful to an adolescent brain than it is to an adult brain. And so, you know, I, I said in the um, the introduction that, you know, that there there's some evidence that, that cannabis affects developing brains uh, differently in adult brains. So this is something that's been studied for a while. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how far back our literature goes, but we've seen pretty good evidence that using cannabis when you're an adolescent as compared to an adult dramatically increases the risk of becoming dependent on cannabis. It seems to have a pretty strong connection with developing a risk of psychosis Mm -hmm. and even things like bipolar depression and in some studies, regular depression. Dr. Pollitt, you're a psychiatrist. Um, So the mental health uh, uh, concerns, if someone is already dealing with a mental health issue, uh, do you have concerns in, in how using a cannabis product would would affect that. Yeah, I oftentimes discuss with my patients that it it makes it really hard for us to treat an underlying mental health condition if someone's also using marijuana because a we don't really know how our medications interact with marijuana in the brain and in other parts of the body and so it makes it harder for us to find an appropriate medication. You're more likely to experience side effects from your medication when you're also using marijuana. And then it's hard for us to sort out a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, there are symptoms of marijuana use, intoxication, dependence, and withdrawal that can look a lot like other mental health syndromes or or illnesses, and it makes it hard for us to decide what's actually going on. Additionally, it makes it hard to receive treatment. And so unfortunately, in Minnesota and other places, there can be silos between substance use treatment, addiction treatment, and then mental health treatment. And so if someone has both issues going on, it can be really hard to find a therapist or a provider or a facility that's capable of managing both at the same time. And that can be really frustrating and hard for families when they're in crisis or kids that need help when they can't find the appropriate type of treatment. As a psychiatrist working with young people, uh, have they talked to you about their marijuana use? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, it's a. I mean, I see a population that has co-occurring illness. And so patients who have pre-existing mental health conditions and either have, you know, at-risk use of marijuana and other substances or, you know, an illness, a dependence or a substance use disorder. So, yeah, I would say we spend a lot of time talking about risks and benefits of their marijuana use, their, their feelings and thoughts about marijuana, their goals for the future and whether or not their use of marijuana helps them achieve those goals or prevents them from achieving their goals. And do they talk about how they um, first started using marijuana products? Like what was the introduction? Yeah. So if you look, um, you know, at national surveys, the majority of young people, the first time they use marijuana, they don't pay for it or buy it and they don't get it from a drug dealer. They get it from a friend or a family member who kind of just offers it as something fun to do or something to try. And so... Yep. An, an adult family member offering sometimes a sometimes it's a, a older sibling sometimes mm-hmm. it's a cousin um yeah or or you know a friend over at the friend's house um mm-hmm. that sort of thing so that's usually how someone starts using and then for certain individuals they really enjoy that feeling of the use of marijuana that dopamine hit that dr miller was talking mm-hmm. about feels really good and so for those individuals then they're more likely to continue use and then have that use escalate 
And uh, Dr. Miller, what's your understanding? Uh, uh, children that you have, have um, interacted with or, or that your staff has dealt with, what's the the first time? What are the stories about? How were you introduced to like your first joint or whatever? It's most often exactly what Dr. Polly said. So someone will say, oh, my friend had it and I tried it. I've only done it a couple times. I think it's interesting that sometimes that's a defense. Like, oh, I'm not addictive. I never I never pay for it. And sometimes kids are using it every day, but they're not paying for it. And they think that that's less of a problem. But it usually is just a social setting initially. And then, as Dr. Polly said, kids who are at higher risk of that dopamine hit or of having co-occurring mental health issues can start to rely on it to mask or manage symptoms of anxiety or depression in a lot of cases. So how do we go from I, I tried it at a party to I'm now using it every day? I think it's often, in, in my experience in primary care, patients are often using it to manage symptoms of mental health. and Which they may not be diagnosed for yet. Correct. Yeah. And kind of the brutal reality, which I'm pretty open with with teenagers, is that, yeah, this might be effective in the very short term, right? It might help you sleep. It might temporarily relieve your anxiety. But in the long run, it's going to make all of those things worse. All right. If you're just joining us, uh, we're getting some advice on how to talk to kids, uh, teenagers uh, in our lives about recreational marijuana and other cannabis products that have now been legalized for adults in Minnesota. And I want to know, have you talked to your kids about marijuana? If so, what did you say? How did your talk go? What questions do you have for our two guests, uh, a pediatrician and a psychiatrist, about how cannabis affects children, teenagers, and young adults? You can call us. The number is 651-227-6000 or call us at 800-242-2828. Again, recognizing um, the legalization of marijuana here in Minnesota for adults. Right. But uh, we know young people are around adults. Right. So so do you think more young people will now experiment with cannabis in Minnesota um, just because maybe more adults are now using it recreationally? Um, and, and what do we know about possibly what we've seen in, in other states that have gone through this? Because a lot of what we've seen here in Minnesota, we look to other states that legalized marijuana years ago. Um, what do we know about you know, just an increase in use among kids and teenagers. Dr. Polly? Yeah. So we know from other states that have um, legalized marijuana for recreational use in adults, you know, previous to Minnesota, that when we see legalization for adults, even though it's not legal for young people, we see increases in the number of young people using. And I think logically that makes sense because when we think about it, it's more likely to be available in people's homes. It's more likely to be advertised. There's a sense mm-hmm. that it's normal, that it's safe because it's legal, which, we, you know, isn't necessarily true true, but there's an association between those things. And so it it becomes more likely that a young person is going to have an easy opportunity to try it, and they're not going to think it's super risky based on the messaging that they're receiving. And it's in the house. You know, we're running errands. Let me go get groceries. Let me go buy some gummies. Let me go, you know, pick up things once, you know, the the sale is uh, more widely uh, legalized here in the state. So um, so we have seen that in other states. Is what yes. Saying, yep. Right. And uh, anything you would would add to that? I mean, we don't have crystal balls here, but uh, is it logical to believe that that more kids and, and, and teenagers will start experimenting with marijuana because it's just more widely used, perhaps? Yeah, I think when any substance is widely available, we'll see an increase in use. We've also in other states, you know, from my pediatric perspective, seen an increase in, you know, intoxications or poisonings from cannabis. So like gummy products, 
look like candy often, <laughs> um, like flavored brownies, that kind of thing. Um, like I've taken care of kids in the hospital that had to stay overnight because they needed to be monitored after accidentally ingesting some cannabis products. What do you do if a child has, when they come into the hospital because they've accidentally ingested a cannabis product? Uh, can you tell us a little bit of what happens medically? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I would say to any parent that has the unfortunate experience of going through this is take your kid to the doctor right away. Don't hide what's happened. Like, be honest because it really helps the medical team know how to take care of your kid if we know what happened or what they could have gotten into. It's usually supportive care. So the biggest symptom that kids might experience is just feeling really like that lethargic. So mm -hmm. difficulty waking up, really drowsy, and, and it's supportive care. So, you know, making sure their oxygen saturations are okay. Do they need any additional support? And we just kind of wait it out in most cases. Okay. And I want to pass on um, an important uh, number, what we're seeing nationally, um, that we know that the number of children who accidentally ate THC edibles, um, it's shot up in the last couple of years. In fact, in 2021, 3,000 children under the age of five accidentally consumed some type of uh, cannabis product. And that's according to the National Poison Data System. Uh, most of them suffered mild impacts, but one in five children was hospitalized, as you're uh, explaining there. Uh, let's take some phone calls. We're talking about um, how to have the cannabis talk with our children. And, uh, and I, I want to know, have you talked to your kids about marijuana? Uh, what did you say? How did it go? And if you have any questions for our two doctors about how cannabis affects children and teenagers, call us 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In White Bear Lake, let's take a phone call from a listener. This is Jamie on the phone. Good morning, Jamie. Thank you for calling. And what do you want to ask or tell us? Hi, uh, just this week, uh, this is very timely for our family. Um, we found our son has a bunch of paraphernalia and a bunch of, you know, uh, marijuana and seemingly like THC cartridges. Um, and, and I think he's using every day. Um, how old is you know, he, Jamie? How old is he? 16. Okay. So yeah, an adolescent, uh, you know, we've, talked throughout his life, you know, brought it up to him about brain development and, and the dangers and all of that. And it, you know, hasn't gotten through. Um, so we're just at the point of what now? I've got a couple calls into just, you know, local um, psychologists, but I don't know where to start. Jamie, really. what, what is your son saying? What did he say to you to explain um, what's going on? He doesn't really want to talk about it. Yeah, he's not very wanting to talk about it, just saying, oh, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's not an issue. You know, you, you're too upset. It's not, you know, basically it's not a heavy drug. So don't worry about this. Okay. But it's oh. affecting his life. You can see it. How do you see it? Does he? Um, do just not as much motivation, lots more laying around, um, just not engaging with family and friends as much. All right. Um, I'm going to give our, our two guests an opportunity to share. Uh, again, uh, let's, I'll start with you, Dr. Polly. Uh, you're a psychiatrist, uh, an adult uh, addiction, a pediatric and adult addiction psychiatrist. This is a story I'm sure you have heard before from parents. What would you say to, uh, to Jamie there in White Bear Lake? Yeah. Well, Jamie, um, I guess I wanted to commend you first for, you know, it sounds like you were able to 
recognize what was going on and approach your child and try to have a discussion about it. And now we're thinking about next steps and recognizing that, you know, this, this could be serious or, or maybe not, but that, you know, you needed extra, you need extra help to try to figure that out. Um, I often recommend that people start with their pediatrician. Their pediatrician knows their child. They know the family. They mm-hmm. are evidence-based screening tools that are confidential that a pediatrician can use with a teen to ask them about their use of substances that have very specific recommendations based on what the child answers as to what level of care or what type of intervention might be necessary. And so that's a great place to start. And that also sends the message to your child that this is a safety and health related issue. This isn't, you know, something that I'm just mad about or that this isn't just about breaking the rules, but this is about your health. And so we're going to go to your pediatrician and your pediatrician is going to help us decide what we need to do next, because there's lots of different options for care for a young person who's using substance. And so they will be able to, you know, assess how serious the situation is and then give you kind of a menu of options of what the different types of interventions might be. And if we think about the timing of this, uh, it's September, uh, kids are back in school. So back engaging now maybe with people they haven't seen for a few months and maybe ready to to do the new thing this school year. So I, I'm sure there are probably a lot of conversations among young people right now. Um, any any advice that you would have for uh, Jamie, 16-year-old son, she said uh, she just discovered this week uh, drugs and drug paraphernalia in uh, his bedroom. Yeah, I very much agree with Dr. Polly. I see this come up in pediatrics all the time. Um, Bring your kid in. We'll talk about it. It's often really helpful for them to hear from someone who's not a parent Mm -hmm. that this is worrisome and I'm worried. Mm-hmm. And each, uh, Jamie said she could, could could see it in the behavior too, mm-hmm. and 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 is that a sign? Is that something that people should look for? Is there a sudden change in behavior in your child? Yeah, I think any change in behavior, especially if we're worried about other mental health symptoms, warrants a visit just to you know find out what's going on. And then a question, maybe this is naive, like where where is he getting this from? If he's sixteen, his friends are sixteen. Where is it coming from? It's, oh, it's it's just around. I <laughs> kids can just get it very easily. Their friends have it. They have older friends who have older friends. It, it's just readily available. Okay. It's not always legal products, so it might not be the safest. Mm-hmm. Also, like it might not be a regulated product, for example. Yeah, they may not know um, the safety or what's in it, mm-hmm. right? Like depending on where it came from. Yeah, I mean, I've seen issues with kids who used synthetic marijuana, so like Spice or K two are some of the common names for that, and mm-hmm. you know that is just something that's not regulated. It's often laced with other products. There was an issue, I think in 2018, maybe in Maryland, where 70 kids were actually poisoned with rat poison because the synthetic marijuana was actually laced with it. So kids they had often, no idea they had what no they were idea. doing. Yeah. And then there was this huge cluster of illnesses and they traced it back to the synthetic marijuana. All right. Uh, I'm checking. Is, is Jamie still there on the line? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. All right. Anything, did, yeah. anything of value there? Anything else you want to say? No, I like the idea of starting with the pediatrician. Um, and I'm assuming she will have, you know, know of the resources that are available. So, yeah, going online and looking, it was just overwhelming to to kind of sift through myself and try to think, well, I don't know what he needs, what level of care. So, um, Well, Jamie, the good news is that uh, we have help available and we are talking about it. And I thank you for yeah, calling because yeah. I think you thank you, sp- you Thank speak. you for this. I think it's so important. And I have to say, having teenagers, this whole becoming mm-hmm. legal now, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough. It's, you know, had it been 10 years ago or 10 years in the future. But for those of us with adolescents right now, mm-hmm. this is a this is a big thing. Mm-hmm. So. 
Thank you for calling, and uh, we're wishing Thanks. you the best. Uh, let's take another phone call from a listener as we're talking about um, how to have the cannabis talk, uh, talking to our, our kids and our teenagers about uh, recreational marijuana products uh, now that they have been legalized for adults here in Minnesota. But want to know, have you talked to your kids about marijuana? And if so, what did you say? And do you have any questions for our two guests who can uh, share a lot about uh uh, working with young people. Uh, we have a psychiatrist and a pediatrician here in the studio uh, with us. Taking your calls at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In Minneapolis, Mark is on the phone. Hi, Mark. Thank you for calling. And what do you want to tell us or share? Well, I just wanted to um, reaffirm what the doctor said about uh, marijuana leading to psychosis. Um, my daughter uh, suffers from bipolar depression. She was diagnosed when she was a teenager. She's quite a bit older now, but at the time, we thought benignly that if she used a little marijuana, it was just helping her calm her anxieties. Mm-hmm. But the truth was, it made him extremely worse. Uh, in the last year, she was hospitalized four times with psychotic events that are generated by her marijuana use. Uh, thankfully, she's been free from marijuana for about six months now, and she's starting to come back to act like a more normal person. But I think a lot of people think marijuana is just this soft drug that doesn't really harm anybody. But for certain people, like my daughter, it makes them extremely sick. Um, I mean, she was not the same human being she was before. Mark, how old is she now? How old is she now? Well, she's 30 now. Mm -hmm. So we've been struggling with this for a long time. And how old was she Um, when you think she first started using marijuana? Oh, I'm 16. 16. uh, Mm -hmm. I I think, yeah, I I think uh, as a parent, we were a little bit lax in watching what was going on. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for calling in and sharing that. Um, D- Dr. Polly, first, let's start with some of the words that he was using. Um, psychosis, psychotic behavior. What is that? Yeah, so psychosis is um, kind of a cluster of different symptoms that can happen to individuals for different reasons. Sometimes, as Mark was saying, it can be from a substance. Sometimes it can be from an underlying mental illness or diagnosis. But it's the experience of hearing voices that aren't really there, seeing things that aren't really there, becoming disconnected from reality. So sometimes people will have beliefs that are not true, but they really feel that they're true. They can, you know, conspiracy theories, worried that someone's out to get them, worried that there's, you know, plots and things happening. Um, It can also involve a lot of what we call thought disorganization, which just means that your thinking is very pieced out. It's not logical or comprehensible. And then people can start to struggle with taking care of themselves because of that. So difficulties with sleeping and showering and eating, it can really be consuming and really difficult for families and for people struggling with that symptom. And we can see this in children and teenagers. Yes, particularly. And marijuana is one of those that's particularly associated with the development of these symptoms. That's probably, as a psychiatrist, one of the most concerning pieces is that um, there's a strong association between use of marijuana and the development of these psychosis symptoms. And we can't predict who will be someone who will have this happen to them and who will be someone that could just use and they might be fine. And that part is really challenging. And so, you know, as Mark was sharing, right, like, probably his child has some sort of genetic predisposition that we never knew about. And then when that interacted with the marijuana, it produced the horrible symptoms and, and issues that his daughter was having. And and Dr. Miller, is that also a common story? Uh, a young person that 
maybe, you know, have some type of like genetic history, and then it is using marijuana, and then it, it creates an outcome that is, is not good. I wish I could say it was uncommon, but unfortunately, I do see that fairly often. And uh, the psychotic behavior, is that something too that, that uh, teenagers are sometimes brought into the emergency room, and parents are wondering, like, what is going on with my child? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or even in the office, I'll have teens kind of disclosing, you know, the scary thing happened, like I heard something that no one else could hear, or I saw something no one else could hear. And often they're very worried about it in the earlier stages. And then if I probe a little bit about, you know, substance use history, they're often but not always is a history of, of some kind of substance. So this comes out of a, a scheduled appointment with the pediatrician, a, a child may or teenager may disclose it to the pediatrician that I'm, I'm having these things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so any advice for parents, like with the, the annual exams, is that something that maybe you say to your doctor, I would like the, you to have a conversation with my child, because maybe they would open up to you more than they would me to me? Or do pediatricians just know to do that? Yeah, every pediatrician and everyone doing a well visit for an adolescent should be talking to that child alone. So starting from ages 12 and up, your child should have alone time with their pediatrician and will do what's called a confidential interview. So a private interview where we ask about things like substance use, sexual activity, sometimes gender identity. And that's really important. And it's important that kids know that that information remains private or confidential because there's just abundant evidence that they'll talk to pediatricians more readily if they know that that won't necessarily be shared with their parents. So if the doctor says, uh, mom or dad, I need you to step out the room, go, right? Yeah, you, yeah. yes. And I kick everyone out, like no exceptions. So <laughs> and then, parents have to leave at some point and I talk to their child alone, they come back. <laughs> right. And then it's a very different conversation, you're saying. It can be. Yeah. I mean, I think so, there's so much room for trust. You know, like I'll have a pretty common scenario is that teenagers don't want to talk to me in front of their parents or Mm -hmm. they'll look to their parent for the answer, right? Like, oh, I don't know, mom or dad, have I had headaches? Like, And it's like, you can answer that question. And if the parent isn't there, one, the adolescent knows they have to answer. And two, it's just so much easier to open up and have kind of that trusted conversation. Right. I'm learning so much. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, We're going to take some more phone calls from our listeners uh, and learn more from uh, our two guests, our two doctors here. Uh, We're getting some advice uh, on how to have the cannabis talk uh, with children and teenagers, but also, um, you know, what do we need to know about how cannabis affects children and teenagers and and the brains of young adults in Sioux Falls this morning? We've got Brandon listening and calling in. Good morning, Brandon. What do you want to tell us? Hi. um, I I was just upfront and honest with my kids um, about cannabis. I knew it was going to be in the household, in America's household, should I say, at one point, like alcohol. Um, so I sat them both down and I showed them YouTube. I did research on the internet with them. I showed them the positive, the negative side. Um, so I was just completely upfront and honest and had upfront, honest conversation with them. That way they felt free to ask questions about, you know, what does it do? How does it connect with your CB1 receptors? How does that impact as a, you know, a youth or a teenager compared to an adult or, you mm-hmm. know, things like that? They're more free to ask these questions if you're just upfront and honest with your kids. And Brandon, how old were your kids when you did this? <clears throat> um, my son, he was, I got to say, nine, ten years old. Um, mm-hmm. My daughter, she's starting. She's 13, so I had a conversation with her just actually a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. 
And did they have what kind of questions did they have, Brandon? Um, they had, you know, the main questions like my daughter basically asked that smells like a skunk. Why? <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. why does it make people really hungry? You know, what are the munchies? <laughs> you know, they they asked me a lot of terminology words. Um, what does this mean, basically, and how does it react to you? You know, it's, so it was just mostly mundane children mm-hmm. questions. And I'd like to so say you, you pulled up YouTube and you, you had the conversation with them and they felt they're comfortable to asking the questions. And, and for you, Brandon, like, why did you want to do that? Did, did you feel like it was better for them to get it from you than from their friends? Well, I didn't want my kids to go to school one day with their friends and be hanging out with them and have one of their friends, you know, pull cannabis out or something. I just wanted them to be, you know, mm-hmm. aware because they're going in, well, past middle school, into high school more relevant now, mm-hmm. um, that teenagers are carrying bait pens and cards with them. So I sit down with them and I'm like, hey, these, these are the things that are in these cards. These are the things that you're putting in your body. We got to think about this, you know? I love it. It's them, them kind of conversations that I physically sit down and show them how they work and mm-hmm. why and what kind of chemicals may be left over and how they can be dangerous. And I just, you know, so you, just yeah, you, you empowered them, right? Yeah. So they can make informed and choices. I've, yeah. I find that at a young age, if I'm honest with my kids and I don't hide or try to sugarcoat anything, they're not scared to come up and ask me, hey, Dad, what is this? Mm-hmm. What happened? You know, they're more upfront. All right. Thank you, Brandon. And let's take some more phone calls. Uh, in Coon Rapids, Jordan is on the phone. Thank you for waiting, Jordan. And what do you want to tell us? Yeah. Um, so we randomly had the six o'clock news on last night, which we normally don't do. Um, and they had this graphic on there of, of marijuana. And it, my, my nine-year-old asked me, he's like, you know, cause we're just sitting there silently watching it. He's like, why, what is that? You know? And I'm like, well, it's marijuana. It's legal now in Minnesota. And then he goes, well, wh- why would it be legal if it's a drug, if it's a, if it's a bad thing, you know, what, why would that become legal now? And I really didn't have a great answer for him. Like I just kind of stumbled because it was like, well, you know, I was going to get into the social justice part of it or something, but it just didn't seem really something. I didn't know how to answer that. So I wanted to see what, uh, what you guys thoughts were on that. Yeah. And you said, you know what, baby, like, let's just listen to NPR tomorrow morning at nine <laughs> and we're going to work it out. Well, thank you. Thank you for, uh, uh, sharing that story and calling. And so, uh, evidence that, you know, there's an awareness. It's on the news. It's everywhere. You, you, your, uh, doctors, you were both talking about billboards. Uh, it's on the TV news. So it's in conversation. So uh, a nine-year-old asking uh, um, if it's if it's legal, um, why is it legal if it's not helpful? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, and how would you a- answer that? What, what is Jordan supposed to say, Dr. Miller? <laughs> I would say there are a lot of things that are unsafe and also legal. You know, mm. if you think about alcohol, you know, that's more addictive than many other substances, great causes comparison. a lot of problems, mm-hmm. but it's legal because people have the right to make decisions about what they put into their body in many cases. 
you know, another comparison would be things like ATVs, which as a pediatrician, I hate, but they're legal because people have the right to buy an ATV, even if there's a high safety risk with that. So I would compare it to other things that are legal. And just because it's legal doesn't mean we should always use it. Good answer. What do you think, uh, Dr. Polly? Yeah, no, I love that what Dr. Miller said, because it, and it's it's such a cool time being like 9, 12 years old, because you're starting to wonder about ethics. Mm. And this is really hits on how to have a conversation about ethics with your child, right? Is that this idea that because the law, the law doesn't always equal the right thing, that society has laws, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that the law is telling you that something is the right thing to do or the safe thing to do. And so comparing, you know, personal decision and making choice and and things related to health and safety in comparison to the law, just as Dr. Miller said. I'm glad that uh, we, we've mentioned alcohol, because I, I want to ask about that. You know, when it comes to kids and substances, um, how is marijuana different than alcohol? Or, or is it? Kids are already around uh, adults who may be drinking responsibly or irresponsibly. But if an adult is is using marijuana uh, responsibly and, and, and legally. Um, isn't that the same as, as watching your, your parents or grandparents drink a glass of wine at dinner or, or have a, a or the example I would use with, with me, gin and tonic, you know, pass me a line, please. Right. I mean, is, is it the same kind of conversation that you have with your kids? I would say yes. You know, what I often tell teenagers is, if you're going to use marijuana, my strong recommendation and preference is that you wait until your brain is like, done developing, which is 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's decent evidence that marijuana is much less harmful after that age because your brain development is complete. I mean, there's still a few safety things, right? But it's, it's more similar to alcohol use in an adult at that point where it's just not the same as it is in a developing adolescent brain. The risk is much lower. Dr. Polly, when we think about alcohol consumption, I mean, many kids are already seeing uh, their extended family members drink. Yeah, no, I think that's so interesting because that's a common thing that I hear young people say is, well, marijuana is legal, or excuse me, alcohol is legal and it's worse for you than marijuana. So what's the big deal if I use marijuana? And it, it, to me, what that sounds like is, well, I wear my seatbelt in the car. So why can't, why, why do I have to wear my helmet on my bike? It's like, yes, well, the, yes. I mean, they're both mm-hmm. safety related. Yes, maybe alcohol might be more toxic for your body than marijuana. But the idea is to reduce risk for our children and do that in every Every way possible, not to sort of put head to head two different risks. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a common kind of conversation that I have. And I do think it's similar to alcohol in that the message should really be, you know, yes, this is something that adults might choose to do, but that it's different when an adult does it than when a teenager does it or when a young person does it, that our brains are just different. And so this, you know, could be a choice for you when you're an adult, but it, it's not a choice for you when you're a young person. We're talking about how to talk about cannabis to children, uh, taking your phone calls. Uh, let's take a phone call from um, Chris in Minneapolis. Uh, good morning, Chris. What do you want to ask or tell us? Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. It's hard to know where to start exactly because I started smoking marijuana like when I was in seventh grade on a very once-in-a-while basis. But back then, it was just marijuana, not this crazy stuff nowadays. And I have seen, like, my grandkids and other kids in their teens and later teens, you know, smoking this, but also smoking other stuff. Like, I can't even remember the name of it, but stuff that's chemical-laced and all that, the synthetic marijuana. Chris, may I ask you how old you are? Chris, how old are you now? 
I'm 70 years old, and I smoked weed for so many years, and I did psychedelics, and I even got, I'm ashamed to say, but, you know, I even got into shooting up dope. So I know about addiction and what it does, not only psychologically, but how all those chemicals, you know, change the way your brain functions. And Chris, do you have grandchildren now? And if so, have you talked to them yeah. about drug use? I do have grandchildren. They've both already been into some heavy drugs for a while. Both been to counseling and stuff. But my grandson now, who's 21, he's back in that same crazy mentality where it's like, well, you know, I mean, I've studied this stuff, and if, you know, you take it just once in a while, it's okay. Da 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 da. And I go, yeah, look at your girlfriend. She lives in like a make believe world because of all that crap. All right, Chris, I'm going to uh, pause you there for a second. Uh, Dr. Polly, early in the conversation, you were saying that the potency uh, that we see now in some of these products much higher than it was, you know, as- 50, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. The potency is higher. And uh, one of the pieces that the caller mentioned that I really wanted to highlight for everyone listening is that you know, there's a lot of talk about the opioid epidemic and the opioid overdose deaths that we're seeing. And people are always asking me and other, you know, others, what do we do to prevent that? How do we prevent people from doing that? And the caller kind of touched on this idea that Really, if we look at what is the biggest predictor of somebody using an opioid, it's use of marijuana and alcohol as kind of the initial substances of choice, which then sort of lead for some people, not everybody, but for some people into other drug use. And so, you know, the idea that we're having these talks with our children, that we're intervening early if we're worried about a problem, even though marijuana might be more benign than something like fentanyl, we're actually preventing some of those kids from going on to develop an opioid use disorder by intervening early when we notice or when we, you know, are worried about their marijuana use. Um, as a pediatrician, um, Dr. Miller, anything you want to say about, um, you know, a, a lot of young people have uh, grandparents uh, who, you know, use marijuana products and talk about it. What's what's different or, or any suggestions on how to, to handle that situation? I would echo what Dr. Polly said. You know, the the substances that are available now are just very different. Mm-hmm. I'm also very careful not to demonize anyone who is using marijuana because mm-hmm. for many patients, like their parents might use marijuana and the kids might be very aware of that. Mm-hmm. So I say, here's why I'm worried about it for you. Like, this is what I want to talk about. Do you know how marijuana is different for a teenage brain versus an adult brain? Like, what do you know about how that could impact your mental health? And I start these conversations with kids who are telling me they're not using any substances at all. You know, so I always ask about marijuana just because it is everywhere now Mm -hmm. and find out what a kid knows. And I'm encouraged that many more teenagers are able to tell me that it affects the developing brain differently. So I think we are getting some of that education out. But a fair number just have no idea that it's different for them versus their parents or grandparents. I'm glad we're talking about it. Uh, Let's take a phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. Uh, Sharon, uh, you've been waiting. Thank you, Sharon. What do you want to ask or tell us? Well, thanks for taking my call. Um, my daughter and her husband are very loving. Um, they couldn't love their two-year-old, my grandbaby, more. Um, but they use marijuana. Um, and I'm sure they don't, you know, use it. I, I'm sure they're not blowing it around the room when she's in there. But I can sense it when I go over there. And others have sensed it. And You mean you can smell um, it? You can, when you say you Yeah, s- and I'm just worried about, um, you know... 
um, what effect this has on young children if they get the secondhand smoke. I mean, if you can sense it, it's, you know, I, I'm just kind of worried, and I know they're kind of, I, I don't think they think it's think, think it's something to worry about, and I'm very concerned. About the smell and your, your two-year-old grandchild um, being surrounded by the smoke. Um, um, Cheryl, let's ask, I don't know, uh, is, there, is there any evidence uh, that the, the smoke, the secondhand smoke, as we, we know about cigarette tobacco products, uh, what do we know about the smoke from marijuana? Is, does it affect uh, children in a way that we should be concerned about, um, Dr. Miller? I think it's so understudied, right? Because this is a relatively new, new-ish phenomenon with the degree of use that we're seeing today. I don't know of any studies looking specifically mm. at marijuana secondhand smoke exposure. We do know that it's not recommended to use marijuana during pregnancy or when breastfeeding. That's a pretty solid recommendation. And for anyone who is using cannabis products and has small children in the home, I would encourage them to make sure, especially with edibles or oils, that those are locked up. Um, I don't have a good answer about the secondhand smoke, though. Anything, Dr. Paula, you can add? Yeah, I agree with Dr. Miller that, um, you know, because marijuana is essentially what's called Schedule 1, which means it's illegal, we can't really do a lot of really high-quality research on it. And mm-hmm. so we have a lot of data about tobacco smoking and cigarettes. We have a lot of data about alcohol, but we just don't have data about marijuana in a lot of cases. Because on the federal level, it's still illegal. Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can't do a large-scale national study and get federal funding right now for mm-hmm. that. And so it limits the types of research that can be done. Um, and just our last couple of minutes here, um, moving forward, um, you, you've already both of you have given us some great words, exact words to have these conversations. But let's talk about how to start the 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 where the when I've always heard that if you're trying to have a difficult conversation with a child, do it while you're driving, and they're trapped in a little back seat with the seatbelt, they can't go nowhere. Uh, is that practical advice? Like when to begin approach these conversations? Um, Dr. Dr. Miller, what do you think? When Agree with the driving. I would say also early and often. So small, mm. short, repeated conversations. Just you see something on the news. One of the callers mentioned that. Yep. That's a great prompt. Um, early, often, frequent, and continued. So this isn't a conversation that ever really ends. This is something you're revisiting great. on a regular basis. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Potley is a psychiatrist. <laughs> when, how, when do I start this conversation? Yeah, I think what Dr. Miller said is um, spot on. I think, um, you know, as an adult, if we see something in our environment, like on the news, out in public, we can use that as an opportunity to have just that short kind of normalized, brief talk with our child. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that like a longer talk in the car isn't also helpful. I mean, of course, you can, you know, use that time as well. But um, the idea is really to just, as I've said a number of times, normalize the idea that we talk about this and it doesn't have to be a big and scary thing. Yeah, I like the, the dad who called in. I, I pulled him up and like we got on a YouTube together. Let's talk about this. All right. I want to thank our guests for giving us some help with the cannabis talk. Uh, I appreciate your expertise and your willingness to share it. We've been talking with Dr. Katie Miller, a pediatrician and medical director of adolescent medicine at Children's Minnesota, as well as Dr. Sarah. Sarah Polly, a pediatric addiction psychiatrist, the director of addiction psychiatry at Ellie Mental Health. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom and Danelle Cloutier. We'll talk again again tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.